Good morning, church. Uh, the scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Thank you. This is the word of God. This morning, I really enjoy reading the book of Hebrews, and I found it to be one of the more interesting books in the New Testament. In fact, when I did my master's degree, probably my longest paper in that series of lessons and sessions, my longest paper was written from Hebrews chapter 10, the chapter that we'll be in today. The overall premise of the book of Hebrews is that there is many there are many good things in the old testament in fact Aaron's priesthood was very good and uh, the old testament sacrifices were very good he even says the angels were very good and yet Jesus is better and that's the entire premise for the whole book of Hebrews and he just kind of sets each one of those up so he can knock it down with here comes Jesus for the Jewish readers, this book was written to Jewish believers, and those that were uh, those Jewish believers, when they read it, they would have had an instant connection to that Old Testament. Now, not only Jewish believers can gain from this, but really even Gentile believers who have an understanding and a, and a love for the Old Testament as well. So, if if you really kind of know what's going on in the Old Testament, when you come into the Book of Hebrews, you get to see that connection between those Old Testament items and then how Jesus ties in with those. The reason that the author wrote the book is because those Jewish believers were facing massive persecution. In fact, if you can just put yourselves in a Jewish person's shoes, uh, Christ has in your lifetime come, lived, been on the cross, rose from the grave, and now the church is beginning to grow, and you as a Jewish person hear Jesus is the Messiah, he is the fulfillment of everything that we ever wanted, and you get saved. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus. But then there's an outflow of that that happens in your life, and one of those things that's really an obvious outside thing is you used to, on Saturday, go to the synagogue with all of your Jewish friends, but you don't do that anymore. Now you go and worship with your brothers and sisters on Sunday, the day that memorializes the resurrection of Jesus. So you're no longer offering sacrifices, and you're no longer going to the synagogue, but you're going to church on Sunday, and you're talking about the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. And that puts a target on your back. Because your old friends still live next door. You still live in a Jewish community. And people know you don't come to the synagogue anymore, 
And some of those Jewish believers, by the time this book is written, some of those Jewish believers are starting to kind of slide out of church and go back to the synagogue, not because they stopped believing in Jesus, but because it's really hard to continue on while you're being persecuted. And maybe in their mind they would think something or they would justify it like this, I still love Jesus, I still trust Jesus, but i got to live. And I'm just going to slide back into the synagogue with my friends. You remember a guy named Saul in the book of Acts? He's not going to hunt me down anymore if I go to the synagogue. And so they would slowly slip away from church and go back to their old ways. And that's why the book of Hebrews was written. In fact, as we come to this part where we're at in Hebrews chapter 10, our scripture reading came from verses 23 to verse 25. Essentially, the statement that's being made is to those believers, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't turn your back on Jesus, because Jesus is much better. Now, as we see in our series today, I plan on today being our last in the series on spiritual disciplines. As we see today, I want to talk about this idea of us being a part of a body. We are a church body. And remember, that if we're going to come together and we're going to gather as believers, we are each one fulfilling our roles. 1 Corinthians 12 makes that very clear. We're each parts of a body. Some might be a hand and another might be a nose. Another might be, 1 Corinthians words, an uncomely part. Maybe it's an armpit. You keep that covered up. But each one of us is a part. Now remember that any part of your body should always be actively a part of the body. I'll give example of this, earthly example. If you were to wake up in the morning and be ready to go to work, and your right arm decided, today's not the day that I go to work, today is the day I take off. And your right arm just decided, I'm not going with you. I'm staying here in bed. I'm enjoying this. I'm just going to stay right here in bed. You go have the rest of the day. You would say, there's something wrong. Now, we know that the arm cannot detach itself from the body, so let's say the arm goes along, but just refuses to do anything. You would still say something is wrong. You'd go and see the doctor, because every part of the body is supposed to play a part in the body. There's no such thing as dead weight. If any one particular part of your body stopped being a part of the body, you would be concerned. And he is the head of the body, the church. And we are the parts in particular. And every single one of us should be playing a part, looking for a way that I serve the body. And we've said in the past, you slam your thumb in the door, the rest of your body knows all about it. And the rest of your body will do everything it can to protect that part of the body. Friend, there's no space within the body for dead weight. This doesn't work. Before we dive into Hebrews 10, I want to just bring your mind up to date in terms of spiritual disciplines. We've been talking about this every year. I start the year off with spiritual disciplines. We see it from Acts 2.42. The early church gathered together for reading of the word, for prayer, and the gathering of the church. This was the spiritual disciplines. And we've talked about reading. I am so tempted to ask you. I will not ask you to raise your hands. But I am so happy to be with my wife working through reading the Word. And we're doing this on a daily basis. I hope you're joining us. And if you haven't started yet, it's not too late. 
There's still some Bible reading plans on the back table. Grab one. Jump in on tomorrow's date. It's okay. I think tomorrow's the 16th. Is that right? Tomorrow's the 16th. Jump in on the 16th and go with it. Prayer. We talked about prayer last week. And oh, how important it is for us to be lifting our voices to our Heavenly Father. His ear is inclined to His children. Be speaking and communing with your Heavenly Father. And then today we'll talk about this spiritual discipline of gathering together with brothers and sisters in Christ. It might give you a helpful way to think of spiritual disciplines. Another word for spiritual disciplines would be godly habits. David Mathis calls it habits of grace. He wrote a whole book on that. Godly habits. And when you think of habits, sometimes you think, I need to add this thing into my life. But then as we go through the year, you realize I'm just kind of slipping off. It might help you with a different way of thinking of this. Listen to a podcast this week by Craig Grishel, Leadership Podcast, and he made this statement, and I have thought of this statement all week long. Here's what he said. When it comes to godly habits, don't think in terms of, I need to do this. Instead, I do this because this is who I am. I'll flesh that out. I am a child of God, and I am changed by God. And because I am this kind of person, I do this sort of thing. That totally changes it. Instead of this is duty, it becomes this is delight. I'll give another example. My mom said this when I was a kid, and I've carried this statement in my mind all my life. My mom said this, any old dead fish can float downstream. I don't know if that's hitting you where it hit me. I had to hear it one time as about an eight-year-old boy, and I've just remembered this all my life. Any old dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim upstream, right? So, so on the one side, we'll say the positive is, don't think in terms of I need to add this. Instead, this is the kind of person I want to be. Uh, the negative would be, don't be a dead fish and float downstream. Let's put those together, and I might say it this way, take ownership of your life. Take ownership of your life. A lot of people think in terms of, well, I had this thing happen to me or that thing happened to me, and they spend the rest of their life using those things as excuses for why they don't perform in life. Take ownership of your life. Don't be a dead fish that floats downstream. Look at what kind of person you want to be and act that way. So what are you? You're a child of God. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You are a different kind of person. So as a child of God, how should you act? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 4 is very clear. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 gives us how do you act. Here's Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. This is what he said. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. Act the right way. So what's the right way look like? with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So who are you? You're a child of God. And how does a child of God act? He acts with lowliness and meekness, forbearance, caring about others, seeking to have unity within the body of Christ. And when Satan does his best to throw a dart at you, 
when the fiery arrows of Satan come upon you, you have the ability to put up the shield of faith. You have the ability to stand and have godly habits in your life. Or you have the option of putting it down and just taking those arrows and saying, well, life happens to me. Friend, take ownership of your life. That's discipline. Take ownership of it. I am going to be this way because this is the kind of person I am. I'm a child of God. Here you go. I'm a godly father. Well, maybe you're not there yet, but stop and think. If I'm a godly father, this is the way that godly fathers act. So I'm a godly father. I may not be there yet, but I'm going to start doing the things that a godly father does because I want to be a godly father. So what does a godly father do? He spends time in the Word. And he spends time in prayer. And he brings his family to church. And he does devotions with his children. And he constantly is speaking into the life of his children because he wants his children to love and follow Jesus. So I'm a godly father, and this is the way that a godly father acts. I don't let life happen to me. Instead, I take ownership of it, and I am disciplined in my life because I want to be a godly father. Or I'm a godly mother, and a godly mother has a certain way that she will act, and I'm going to be that way. Or she, maybe I'm going to, I want to be a youth pastor. Okay, this is the way a youth pastor acts. And so I'm not going to deviate from that type of action. I'm going to live up to it. I'm going to be a deacon. This is the way that a deacon acts. Don't let life happen to you. Take ownership. Be disciplined. Godliness is profitable. We've seen several times now, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Godliness is profitable in all things, in this life and in the life that is to come. We've seen the reading of God's Word. We've seen prayer. I hope you're putting them into action. If you haven't started yet, please do start today. We talk today about corporate worship. And I guess it would be helpful to define that, corporate worship. When I say corporate, don't think of the corporate world as in there's a company. When we say corporate, corporate means us together. And the difference between private worship and corporate worship, when we gather as a church, we are corporately worshiping. So private worship is I get up on Monday morning and I choose what passage I'm going to read and, and I might sing some songs to the Lord throughout the day, and those songs are songs that I choose. And I might pray, and I, those are things that I choose. But you know what corporate worship is? Corporate worship is we come together and someone else chooses it. Someone else leads it, and together as one body, we sing. And together as one body, we give. And together as one body, we pray. And together as one body, we spend time meditating on the Word of God. That's corporate worship, and it's different from private, and it's just as important. So reading the Word and prayer, that's private. But corporately gathering, we come together. Another word we might say is the faith family. We are a family of faith. If you put your trust in Christ, you're my brother, you're my sister. I'm not your papa. All right? Somebody might be mistaken on that and call me a holy father. I am not your holy father. I am your brother in Christ. Our heavenly father is my father. And Jesus is my brother. I'm joint heirs with him as you are also. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a faith family. Another phrase you might hear me use from time to time is a covenant community. We are a community of people who have covenanted together. We made a promise. You might remember our church covenant. I'm going to look after you and you're going to look after me. And I'm making that promise right now while I'm in my right mind so that one day if I get in my wrong mind, you'll come and get me and bring me back to my right mind. Covenant community, faith family. 
Or another word would be a fellowship. We are a fellowship of believers. We're a group of believers that are together. The word fellowship means a group of people united for a battle. That's the meaning of fellowship. The example of that, maybe you might remember Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. They had the fellowship of the ring. Sam and Frodo and Gandalf and those guys. They were the fellowship of the ring. They were a group that was united for the purpose of battle. And by the way, that's what you and I are as a fellowship of believers. We are united together for a singular purpose and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are a church. We're taking the gospel to the world. And if you're dead weight, it doesn't work. And so we say a part of your spiritual discipline should be the corporate gathering of the church, being a part of a body of believers. So let's come into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I'll read verse 23 down to verse 25. There is an overarching theme, one overarching command, and then there are four supporting points that go to it. Let's see it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the overarching command is found in verse 23, hold fast the profession of faith without wavering. We say hold on to your faith. Don't shake away from that. That's the overarching command that helps us Remember those Hebrew believers in that day, and that principle still applies to today. They were starting to shake in their belief. They're starting to wander. It's very easy, by the way, for us as well to do that. Sometimes it's just easier for me to stay at home and not go to church because there are some people who might mock me or my flesh might give me a hard time. It's just easier for me to stay at home. And that's going to shake the foundation of my faith. Hold fast, he says, that's the command, hold fast, hold on to it. Hold on to the confession or profession of your faith. Don't quit. And then he gives us four ways that you do that. The first one is found in verse 23. It's in the parentheses. For he is faithful that promised. So number one, remember that he is faithful. So how is it that I hold on to my profession of faith? I made a profession. I said, yes, I trust Jesus. I've put my trust in Jesus. How do I hold on to that first? And this is foundational. I've got to remember that he's faithful. By the way, this is the gospel. He's the one that made it happen. It's not me. Here's 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. That's the foundation upon which we can stand. And then he continues. Here's another passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and verse 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. May He set you apart. May you be different in your life. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Live holy, friend. 
He's praying that you would be preserved blameless and clean, be set apart until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 24, he gives this statement, faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. This is the gospel, both in your salvation and in your sanctification. The gospel is that he is the one who saved your soul. He sent Jesus to the cross to die on the cross for your sin. Jesus took your sin. You didn't do it. He did it. And you will be changed because He did it. And you're in Him. He's faithful. Faithful is He who calls you and who also will do it. Your salvation is dependent on Him. Your sanctification is dependent on Him. You can hold on to your faith because He is faithful. So how do I hold on to my faith? I remember that He's faithful. Second thing, found in verse 24. Provoke one another unto love and to good works. Let's see it in verse 24. Let us consider one another, these are the words, to provoke unto love and to good works. As I see this gathering, as we gather, we provoke one another. We encourage one another to do right. And there's one major way in which I see that happen as we come together in the context of gathering And I see it as it's being displayed right now in the preaching of the Word. As the Word is proclaimed, you hear, thus saith the Lord. I hope that you hear that as we expound the Word of God. As the Scriptures are preached, I hope that you hear it as the oracles of God. The words of God are proclaimed in your ears. Why? Because the Word is the most powerful thing there ever is for you in your life. Here's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The Word of God is quick and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the Word of God is what God uses in the hearts of believers to awaken you and to provoke you to love and provoke you to good works. As you hear words like this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray that your whole soul and your body would be set apart for Him. Be holy. As you hear those words, you're being provoked to good works. Also, within the corporate gathering, we provoke one another through the preaching of the Word, but we also do it through considering one another. Through considering, you can see that at the beginning of verse 24. Let us consider one another. In modern English, when we use the word consider, we kind of make it like, give it a passing glance. Have you ever considered that? You ever thought about that? That's the way we use it today. That's not the way that it's used in the Scriptures. In fact, Definitely not the way it's used in this passage. The word translated as considered, it's the word katanaeo, and it means to observe fully. To observe fully. I'll give you two examples, one negative, one positive. The negative example, Matthew chapter 7, Luke chapter 6, Jesus uses the same word. Translated consider, he uses the same word. When he gives this example, and as soon as I say it, you're going to go, oh yeah, that may, I remember that. He, says, he said something like, you are a bit of a hypocrite because you look at your brother and you say, hey, you've got a speck in your eye. But have you not considered 
The beam that is in your own eye, you don't give a passing glance to the beam. You fully think on it. You stop and you go, I have a beam sticking out of my eye and I need some help with this thing. That's the word consider. That's in the negative. But in the positive, he uses it in Hebrews chapter 3. You've got your Bible there. Just slip over to Hebrews chapter 3. I want you to see the word consider used in a positive light. And in fact, before I read it in chapter 3 verse 1, I want you to just slide your eyes back up because I want you to know who, he's, who we're going to consider. See it in chapter 2 and verse 14. Oh, this one is over and over repeated. I'm just going to touch 14, 15, and 18. 14, he says, for as much, this is chapter Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus, here's what it said. Jesus took on flesh and blood. And through death, that, sorry, that, through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus took on flesh and blood so he could destroy the devil. Verse 15. And, de and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Jesus took on flesh so that he could taste death. And in tasting death, he defeated Satan's worst tool and delivered us from the fear of the one greatest tool that Satan ever could use against us. So we no longer have to fear death. Then look down at verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor those that are tempted. Here's what it says. Jesus went through all temptations just like you and I went through all temptations and he suffered in those so that he now can give us rest and comfort in the midst of our temptations. I hope that you're hearing some wonderful things about our Savior. Now look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider... Don't give him a passing glance. Fully think upon him. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Fully take upon yourself the thought of Jesus. And so now as we take the meaning of that word back into Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 24, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we will consider one another and we're going to provoke one another to good work so we don't give each other a passing glance but instead we fully invest our minds upon one another so we gather as brothers and sisters in christ and we hear the preaching of the word but we also care about one another and we consider each other and i think about you and not just, oh, I'm going to give him a passing glance and I'm glad he's here and I'm glad to see him. But no, I care about his soul. That shouldn't just be pastoral. It should be one another. Consider one another, he says. And then thirdly, assemble yourselves together. You see, see that in verse 25. The verse says... Verse 25, this is Hebrews 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Not forsaking. It's almost like a double negative. If you love grammar like I love grammar, double negative means it's a positive. So not forsaking, when you put those together, it means don't stop being together. Or don't give up 
on the church. Be together. Take the double negative and make it a positive. Assemble. Not forsaking. Instead of not forsaking, you could say assemble. Do get together. This is how we hold on to the faith. I'm going to remember that He's faithful. It's not dependent on me. I'm dependent on Him. He's faithful. And I'm provoking others. That's going to help me hold on to my faith. And now we're going to, be going to assemble together. We're going to assemble as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do that on a regular basis. We get together. You cannot substitute the gathering of the brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot substitute that by listening to a sermon online. It's not the same. There are things that you and I as a, as a church body that we do together that you don't get by listening to a sermon on the podcast. And I'm thankful for the ability to do that. Every week we average 150 downloads from our church website. I'm thankful that people listen to these sermons. I'm thankful. I've heard many of you say, Pastor, I loved the sermon this week, and I went back and I listened to it, and I shared it with some friends. I'm thankful for that. But friend, the online sermon is no substitute for gathering as a church. I don't know if you've noticed, but we stopped live streaming the services. About a year ago, we turned it off. You know why? Because we had so many people in the church that were saying, Pastor, this week we're going to stay home and we're just going to watch online. You missed out! You know what you're not doing when you stay at home? You know what you're not doing? You're not provoking anybody to love and good works. You're sitting back in your pajamas watching TV, having a cup of coffee. You're not meditating on the Word. You're paying attention to something else while you're kind of halfway putting an ear to the sermon. Friend, you're not singing with the body. You're not giving with the body. You're not worshiping with the body. You're not responding with the body. There's something to be said about gathering as a church. I don't mind if you listen to it again after the service, but my friend, don't miss out on the gathering. This is the single most important event of your whole week. Come gather with the whole church God's intention, and you see it in this verse, is to be with others. As we gather as a corporate body, we sing, and I think of the words of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Corporately singing, it's a command. That's from the Scriptures. It's a command to do it. And you see, there's two ways that you do that. You see the words, speaking to yourselves and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So there's inward and there's also outward that's going on. And we did it this morning in our song service. We did it in our song service this morning. We sang to the Lord. We sang that song. The last song we sang together. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. I want to be holy, and I want to be set apart, I want to be pure, and I want to be right, and I want you to dwell within me. Prepare me to be a sanctuary. That's singing to the Lord. And we sing to one another about the Lord. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. And we sing also another song, He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock. I'm singing to you about how glorious He is. That doesn't change how glorious it is, He is. His glory is infinite. 
But when I sing to you about how glorious He is, it makes His glory shown more broadly. And so I can't increase His glory, but I can increase the amount that His glory is seen. So I'm going to sing to you. Yes, I know, I stand over here and I look at the song leader. And I sing out, but I'm singing to my brothers and sisters. So please, hear me well, church. Don't stand at your place in worship and just kind of halfway go through the songs. There are few things that are more healthy for the church than the men in the church singing out so their wives and children can follow. There are few things more glorious. So sing with your heart to the Lord and to your brothers and sisters in Christ and we glorify the Lord together. Singing is important. And we do this also corporately. We worship as we give. We give back to the Lord what He's given to us. And in my giving, I show God these things that I return to you belong to you long before I ever received them. And I'm worshiping you in my giving. It's a vital part of my worship. God, you are my daily provider. I am ne- I am waiting upon you for my necessity of my daily bread. Thank you for it. I return it to you. And the ordinances, the Lord's Supper, we have the Lord's Supper together. You can't go get a biscuit and a piece of and a glass of grape juice and sit at the house and take those. That's not going to work. We as a body, we gather and we take the Lord's Supper together and in so doing we remember his death until he comes and baptism. Listen, When I was a little kid, I don't know what you did when you were a little kid, but when I was a little kid, I would get in the river or in the swimming pool and I would tell my brothers, you, get down here, I'm baptizing you. I don't know what you, maybe you wanted to be a fireman when you grew up or a policeman and maybe you wanted, I wanted to be a preacher when I grew up. Give me a pulpit, I would tell my brothers, sit down, I'm preaching to you now. (laughs) My life's dream has been fulfilled, praise God. (laughs) But it doesn't work. I baptized my brothers hundreds of times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I would hold them down for three days. (laughs) I try for three minutes. But you can't baptize at the house. Baptism is an ordinance of the church. We gather together and we celebrate the baptism. You can't do that on your own. Oh, you can sing privately, but you can't sing corporately from the house. You come together as a church gathering. Can I say it again? The gathering of the body is the most important, single most important event of your whole week. Assemble yourselves together. Then verse 25, we see the fourth one. This is Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Fourth one, how do I hold on to my profession of faith? Remember that he's faithful. Provoke one another to good works. Assemble ourselves together. And number four, exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. Verse 25. Let me read verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The longer you're a believer, the more you should anticipate the return of Christ. And the more you should love the gathering of believers. 
there should be an increasing joy about being with other believers. I hope that church does not come, become stale and stagnant and boring and ho-hum for you the longer you're here. But instead, the more you are here, the more you know about the glory of God. And the more you know Christ and the more you want to make Him known. And the more you're together with brothers and sisters, it, the more you anticipate the return of Christ. For the day will come when He returns and we will be with Him forever and ever. And in that, at that point, the return of Christ, we will be together forever. I hope you don't find it boring now because it's only going to get better in eternity. There won't be breaks. We'll be together. And you're going to love it. And I hope you get to love it more and more as we approach. Here's Hebrews chapter 3. You don't have to turn back to it. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhorting, it means to invite someone into right living. You're inviting them into right living, so exhort one another. One of the things that I love, I get to be, some of you don't get to be on the various WhatsApp groups. I'm on all of them. I'm in the BBI Palm group. Some of you might not know that. I'm in the CYA group. I'm in the CCBC youth group. I'm in the CCC. And you know what I get encouraged by is seeing when someone, without being asked, someone just posts this is what I read in the Word today, and this is how it spoke to my heart. You know what they're doing? They're saying, I want to exhort you, invite you into right living. I got encouraged by the Word today, and I want to encourage you by the Word. Oh, let it be so. And freedom, brothers and sisters, if you think that only the pastor is allowed to post in the CCBC WhatsApp group, don't post your silly videos, but post all you want about Jesus. Come and exhort one another. And today's society is so backwards. Today's society, it's in our society here in Port Moresby, it's in the society around the world. And here's what today's society says. Today's society it says, don't tell me how to live. You have no right to speak. And if you want an example of that, you try. Two o'clock in the morning, your neighbor's boombox is too loud. You can't go tell him to turn it down. You know why? Because today's society says you can't tell me how to live. But Scripture's way of living, exhort one another to good works. That's Scripture's way. So you as a believer, yes, you should be exhorting others to live right, but also you should be living with an open ear so that others can tell you in love the truth of how you should be living. There's a danger, by the way, of living with closed-off ears. There's a danger of this. The book of Proverbs speaks of it many times. I'll give you three. Here's Proverbs 10 and verse 17. He is in the way of life that keeps instruction. You listen to instruction, you're in the road that gives life. But the flip side of the coin is, he that refuseth reproof erreth. You don't listen to correction you're making a mistake. Here's another one. And it, these get better as we go. Here's Proverbs 12 and verse 1. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge. I want to be told how to do things better 
Speak into my life. Here's the invitation. Speak into my life. Help me to do it better. He that loves instruction loves knowledge. But, flip the coin, he that hateth reproof is brutish. Another word for brutish is like a beast. An ox. You're a dumb ox if you don't want to listen to correction. Here's a better one. Proverbs 15, verse 32. He that refuseth instruction despises his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. Friend, listen to reproof. It will help you. But the opening words of verse 32, if you refuse instruction, you hate your own soul. Don't listen to society. Oh, no. Exhort one another. And with exhortation comes receiving of exhortation. So be open for correction. Love correction. And we might say, hold fast to the faith. And the body will help you hold fast to the faith. The command is clear. Don't give up the faith. Because he's faithful. By provoking each other to good works and to love. By not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together by exhorting one another. We are a fellowship of believers. We are a covenant community. We're the church. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll say it again. This is the single most important event of the whole week. So if your friend has a rugby game on Sunday morning, you don't put aside the single most important event of the week so that you can go and encourage your friend. Here's a better way to encourage your friend. Tell him on Saturday that you have something that's very important in life. Maybe he'll get to see that there's something more important in life and that you love him and you're going to be there to support him on every other day of the week or maybe even if he plays on Sunday afternoon. Or maybe here's another way. Schedule your week around it. Don't take a trip to Sugary on Sunday morning. I love Sagari, but Saturday morning it exists as well. But if I'm going to sleep in my own bed on Saturday night and I'm going to get up on Sunday morning and drive up to Sagari, you know what I'm doing intentionally? I'm forsaking the gathering of the brethren. Maybe one of the kids has a runny nose. Wipe the child's nose and go to church. You'd go to work with a fever and act like you didn't have COVID-19. But the whole family will stay home because one of the kids is running a nose. You see, if we look at it as this is what I have to do, it becomes duty. But if I look at it as this is who I am, and all of these things that I do are because of who I am, Suddenly, I'm going to be this kind of person, even if I wasn't that kind of person before. Maybe the church bus missed you last week. I'll say on behalf of, behalf of the leadership, I'm sorry. Maybe call the driver. Call somebody here in leadership. Let us know. We'll do our best to not let it happen again. But don't write off the brothers, brethren and sisters because of one little thing that happened. Or maybe somebody didn't smile at you the right way. Don't forsake the assembly of the brethren. For me, 
Saturday nights is off limits. I take no functions on Saturday nights. Someone has a function, I tell them. If it's a really important function, I tell them. I'm going to come and visit, and at 7.30 I'm leaving. Because my goal is to be in bed at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. You don't have to be in bed at 8 o'clock on Saturday night, but 10 sure sounds good. Protect Saturday night so you can enjoy Sunday morning. See, this is what I mean by the single most important event. Schedule your life around it. Because I promise you, if you'd been invited to a state dinner, you would have scheduled your entire month around it. And so this is an easy one. Schedule your week around the most important part of the week. I'll close with a thought. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2, God was creating, and He did the most amazing creation. I hope you appreciate it with me. And every day, He ended the day with, it is good. He created. He created the sun, and it was good. And He created the earth, and it was good. And He created the moon, and it was good. And the stars, and it was good. And the trees, and it was good. And the birds of the air, and the fowl of the, uh, the fish of the sea, and they were good. And he created all of the animals that dwell upon the land, and it was good. And there on the sixth day, he created man. He took dust, and he formed man. He breathed into man the breath of life. But there says nothing about him saying it was good. In fact, the next chapter, he says this, these words. It is not good for man to dwell alone. And so he created a woman. That tells me from the very beginning, God never designed you to be, be all by yourself. God created us for community, friend. The example is easy. A fire, and you take one DY out of the fire and set it off on the side, that fire will go out. But friend, if you start pushing more branches into the fire, the fire will rage. You see, we're made for community. He didn't make us to be all on our own. So let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Father, I pray that in these next few moments that we would commit anew. Lord, many of us have committed to prayer. Many of us have committed to the Word. And I pray this morning that we would commit to the faithful attendance in church. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts this morning. Could I ask you to stand with me? I'd like to invite you this morning again. Come to the altar. If you would like to commit to the Lord this year, Lord, perhaps in years past, I've been slack, and sometimes I come and sometimes I don't. But this year, Lord, I'm going to commit, 2023, I'm going to commit that unless something providentially stops me, I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to be a part of the body. I will exhort and I will encourage and I will point others to Christ. And I'm going to be here, a firebrand that's bringing heat for other firebrands. And so can I encourage you to come? Father, this morning you see my brothers and sisters here committing this year. I commit with them, Lord. Commit to... Put the gathering of the church ahead of my own personal things. 
Lord, I pray that You would help us on those days when we're tired, on those days when something has happened, to instead set those aside and come and gather and provoke and exhort and consider to encourage. For Lord, You are the one who has been faithful in our lives. And ultimately, Lord, we do all these things because we want to hold fast the profession of our faith. I don't want to be a castaway, Lord. I don't want to give up. No matter how hard things may be, I pray that you'd help us hold fast the profession of our faith. For it's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen.